0: All right. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to our Building Better SaaS podcast. This is a podcast that focuses on topics relevant to SaaS companies and product teams who are building those SaaS applications and tools. My name is David Abramson. I'm the Chief Technology Officer here at Curve. Curve is an embedded analytics layer for SaaS applications. So we work every day with uh, lots of SaaS companies, Helping them to grow their applications and enhance their product offerings. Uh, today on the podcast, I'm really happy to be joined here by Ali Alaj. He is the CEO of Blue Steel Cybersecurity. And I'm going to let Ali introduce himself and tell us a little bit about what Blue Steel does.
1: Sure. Thanks, David, for uh, uh, having me on the show today. So, um, I, like he said, I'm Ali Olaj, CEO of Blue Steel. We focus on cybersecurity compliances, so your SOC two, HIPAA compliance, high trust uh, for SaaS based organizations in the healthcare, fintech, research, and education space. Um, we are also DoD um, contractors focused on application security. Um, we, you know, primarily work with organizations from like the 50 to 300 person mark, and really those that have an existing DevOps process that want to add a, a security layer and meet compliance requirements for contracts that have those requirements in there. So uh, really enjoy this the space and love working with a lot of the customers we do.
0: Yeah, thanks for that, Ali. And, and great to have you joining us on the podcast today. Um, so based on what you guys are working with and, and, and the types of um, partners and contracts you work on, can you just talk maybe a little bit about um, what a SaaS company needs to do to sort of prepare their sort of personnel and process to yeah. meet the sort of security requirements and goals that they might have. They might have.
1: Yeah, you know, I think I'm gonna, you know, a lot of a lot of people in our space we focus on the technical and tell you all the controls that you need to have the, in place. But I'm gonna sort of start start with the more simple things. Um, the challenge is when you go in through compliance. Is that you have to be aware of the all the variables, the assets, the people, the process. And a lot of times when we work with organizations, none of that's documented. They don't have a clue as in terms of like what their DevOps process really looks like. They don't have really a clue of you know they have you know the lead developer who's like the person that pushes the code, and there's no real process to figure out whether or not the code that they are creating um, is secure it's just it's it's a it's a startup it's a younger company they could even we've even seen this in established firms uh document your process we like visuals so we we humanize this stuff so we try to keep it at on human terms so visually show document what does that devops process look like what does that food chain look like who's involved in it how are they creating it where does it all live um and then how does it get to the end to the finish line you start with that Um, it becomes real easy for compliance to then come in and say, okay, um, we're aware of this process. Um, So let's start. These are the controls that we need to figure out how we comply with. So let's start dissecting what you have and then either move some items around because good compliance, um, you don't want to disrupt that workflow. Uh, You want to make sure you enhance the workflow and, and, and embed security operations into there. And then fundamentally, is is if you understand where everything is, you understand who's involved, uh, the controls really come down to have you done background checks on the individuals Um, Are the devices they are working on, are they monitored or locked down? Um, And then how do you make sure that whatever gets pushed is secure? Um, Those are really the basics. Those are the easiest things I could tell anyone that can do. Just walk away and do it today. Um, and it, um, and I'll be honest, it's a pain. It's not something that everyone is excited to do. But if you are a process nerd like we are, um, you know, go go and do it. Start
0: visualizing and mapping it out. That's like
1: the the first step I tell everyone to do.
0: Right. So doc, I mean, obviously, documentation and and tracking all of these things are going to be really important. Yeah. Uh, and you talked about sort of the size of the company, where you know, if somebody's just getting started. In your opinion, sort of at what point does a company need to invest in dedicated sort of security personnel or teams versus just kind of it with the people who are managing code, like you said, a DevOps person versus working with an outside company to to sort of augment that role within the business?
1: So usually... Usually, organizations you have a lot of smart people, engineers that understand code, understand what it is they do, and typically what what you know sort of the persona of that is is that you know with every new language that comes out, everyone sort of jumps in, does their boot camps, gains a basic understanding of what they're dealing with, and maybe they're not an expert at it, but they're sort of dabbling and playing around with it so let's let's think about startup I think you know, most people expect me to say, um, biasly, that yeah, you should reach out to a consulting firm. But realistically, if you're a startup, you're trying to save costs. Um, why not get the smartest engineer in the team, the one that's the most interested in security, to start understanding the basics of uh, uh, DevSecOps? Like, what what makes a DevSecOps real? What What are some of the components into that? It's honestly not rocket science. It just takes someone to start it. Put those um, items into place to understand it. And that can happen in day one. You could have, you know, you control your, your IAM rules. Uh, if you're in an AWS environment, you start uh, understanding roles and teams and privileges. You start putting those things into place. Um, those are again, simple stuff. Um, and, and, and if you're um, ambitious or want to understand security, the learning curve is not that steep. Um, especially if you're a well accomplished engineer. So start with that. When does you know calling uh, for help make sense? It's when you're trying to adapt policies and procedures and enhance what you don't understand of the compliance, right? So um, every one of these compliance measures, some are really black and white. So like NIST controls are very black and white, but there's a lot of them. There's like 110. There's, you know, in some cases could be a thousand requirements, right? So it's a lot of work to do. Um, it's not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily make sense to devote uh, time into it if you can outsource it. Um, the second thing is the ones that are not necessarily so black and white, it's interpretation. What is this control really asking for? Um, what do we need to have in a policy procedural place to make it real? And then how do we marry that to the technical pieces? Like how do we show evidence that we're in compliance with that? I think that's when you start looking at um, organizations like third party, and then the final stage is when you when do you bring in in house? Um, In house to me means that your your security operations are better suited to have um, internal control. Um, A lot of times, and that's you know that's a lot of questions you have to go back and forth because the cost is going to that's the most expensive approach, honestly, and and the question is is it is the cost worth the internal control or is it still safer to have a third party that really um, is up to date, has an entire customer base to bring that experience in? One, One is not better than the other. So it's really up to the characteristic of the organization as to what makes sense for them and going with that.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. And appreciate kind of the laying out the different stages you mentioned uh some of these compliance acronyms and and maybe you can you can expand a little bit on the kind Not of sure. role that regulations have and maybe the impact that those regulations might have on a, a SaaS company. Um I know from our experience, you know, especially when we work with SaaS companies that are trying to deploy in maybe multiple geographic regions. Um, or need to, you know, work with very um, specific industries, like the ones you mentioned, they have these different um, security requirements. Can you talk a little sure. bit about how that can shape the strategy moving forward?
1: Sure. Um, there's a couple of layers to this, right? So, uh, you know, data security um, in the sense of privacy is one, you know, GDPR, we we know about those regulations and I, and, um, other re- regulations on data privacy that we have to face in the U.S. ourselves. Right. Um, I think, you know, there, there's that component, but then there comes down to um, how that data is handled. Right. And so things that SaaS, SaaS organizations have to start thinking about. What's coming down the road is heavier scrutiny and security requirements on how your product is being made and what are the components that are, are made up of it. It's it's like a dissection process. It's not to say show me your source code. It's more of tell me how architecturally and in terms of process of how you build your product, how you manage it to show that the data that's being processed in there is protected. And then you have that other layer of show us how the privacy, um, how you um, um, make sure that you maintain data privacy as you acquire the information. So there's two things there that are being juggled, right? We've been focusing on the data privacy side mostly, but what's coming down the road is now, you know, is your infrastructure set up to have um, data at rest in in terms of encryption, data in transit? Um, How is it displayed? Are you using open source technology? Is that open source technology been vetted? Have you done source code analysis? Have you done all these uh, different things, which um, from our perspective is a lot more complicated um, because you essentially, if you don't have those things in place, and you rely on third-party tools to get you there, that could be a massive disruption in what your architecture um, already has. Right? So um, that there's a lot of those regulations we're seeing it a lot in the government side through White House initiatives. You know, if you're a SaaS organization that sells to a government agency, you're probably already feeling that pain. Healthcare is going to start to really uh, uh, clamp down on that. They're going to want to know if they're bringing in an application into their environment or it's exposed to their information it's not only the privacy portion of it um how is it protected in transit and, and at rest
0: so obviously there's a lot of different um you know types of regulations and potential requirements you mentioned you know whether it's government or data can you talk a little bit about and and I don't necessarily want to put you 100% on the spot here but can you talk about timelines? So if somebody wanted to get to a level of compliance with a certain type of regulation, let's say, you know, I, I know in the SaaS world, SOC 2 is, is kind of a really important designation to have uh, yeah. related to your products. You know, what's that look like? So if I'm a, if I'm a SaaS company and, and I need to achieve that level of regula- regulatory compliance or audit compliance, you know, what does that look like?
1: Yeah. Timelines are, are. it's weird because I'd love to say it only takes you four weeks. And then there's a lot of apps that are available that will tout really quick SOC 2 framework. And it really depends for every compliance. Like SOC 2 has a type 1 report and a type 2 attestation. Type 1 is just verifying whether or not, do you have all the controls that are in place? Type 2 is like a, um, you know, you, within a 12 month period of, operational performance show us evidence that you've been doing these things. So one's a little bit more harder than the other, other right, in terms of consistency of, of program. Timeframes, you know, I've seen it, um, I'd love to say like one to three months, but it's really been like three to nine months uh, just to get ready. Um, and the reason for that is because for SOC 2 in particular, you have a lot of um, documentation you have to prep. You're essentially creating what's, you know, a section three document that, goes through all of your policies and procedures, um, your architecture, how you handle data, and there's a lot of explanation there. Um, It's not technically challenging, but what ends up happening is if you remember, kind of uh, rewinding back to what I said about documentation and and capturing everything, if that's not in place, you're spending so much time trying to put all the puzzle pieces together to essentially storytell your security, what what your organization does, what your product is offering, and what are the security practices that you follow? everything from uh, the technical to the HR side, right? Um, on average, you know organizations that come to us um, who have anything that's simple to to really more complicated, we've seen on average around nine months to get everything standing up, but that's also you know standing up security program stuff, right? So like you're monitoring things that weren't in place, making sure all that stuff is captured. Um, and then typically, that's when you start doing uh, the audit process and getting introducing the auditor. Um, you know, we've we've done it in a year, less than a year from start to finish um, to get the attestation done. Um, but you know, re- it's a it's a disclaimer: re- results may vary <laughs> depending
0: on how how committed the team is and and how well prepared they are. What about uh, change? So. Uh, I, I, obviously, in like the SaaS software engineering and development space, there's a, a lot of, you know, technologies change all the time, new yeah. frameworks are introduced, you know, new methods of, you know, handling and working with data, new methods of even just building applications. Um, do you see the same thing happening in the security space? I mean, in yeah. my experience, it's I, I would expect it to be a little bit sl- slower moving. But what do you see as far as, you know, how often you have to sort of refresh, you know, once you've implemented something, how how often does that ha- have to happen?
1: Well, I mean, everyone has their different perspective. My perspective is that you have to constantly be aware of what's available in terms of solutions that are out there, right? So let's use AI as an example, right? So we, or that's a, the fanciest buzzword that's out there. And. It either invokes fear or invokes curiosity. Um, I guess you could argue that curiosity can span both regardless of motivation of fear or not, right So um, you know ultimately we, we look at AI as uh, in two ways. One is can we can we automate something that was done manually prior that allows us for speed and accuracy, right And especially when we're dealing with scenarios where someone gets hacked? um a hacker is using ai in order to fast track and, and 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 branch out their their um uh damage so you know exponentially what they can do in 30 seconds today is different than what they could have done in 30 seconds 5 or 6 years ago right so it's a lot greater than that so how do we automate certain aspects um we use that also in terms of Using and um, being able to in, uh, decipher or take in information to, in order to reach a decision, too, right? So, a lot of these security monitoring tools that are out there, the ones that are really popular, like CrowdStrike, Sentinel One, some of these other tools use AI in order to um, uh, get smarter in terms of are, are these false positives that we're seeing uh, certain aspects. And, and of course, you can't argue like things like chat GPT writing your policies. You can't argue a lot of these things. I mean, even in uh uh I was, once was a developer ages ago. You know, could you have an AI create code, right, for certain aspects and things like that? It's it's not a it's it's not a matter of um anything essentially of just trying to fast track processes that were done manually and be able to. Work them as tools or levers to an end result and i and I firmly believe it's not necessarily about replacing people, but more in the sense of figuring out how do we leverage these things to go further than we have uh, prior so it's just um in cyber um, we tell like don't give away your information, so chat GPT collects a lot of data, but we also in our industry do use it to make intelligent decisions and automate certain processes so um you know it's inevitable we
0: all have to embrace it at some point yeah i mean i'm 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 glad you brought up sort of the ai use case cuz we're seeing that just like you said you know getting ai tools to to write code for you i mean that's yeah. with the uh, the code pilot thing that um you know github's launched to chat to any of the other tools out there um it's sort of an emerging trend that obviously isn't going anywhere and probably will just continue to get more robust and better. Yeah. Is there anything else, like other, are other areas kind of trends or the future, like what do you see as the next big sort of security change or, or innovation coming down the pipe?
1: Um, you know, I think, I think we're going to, it's interesting because I, the biggest change that I see that's going to be a disruption is the, Continuous of lockdown um, requirements. My hope um, is that, and I don't think this is a foreseeable future um, item, but I'm inspired by the notion or idea of: Do we really need all these compliances? Like, do we need to have um, a SOC two and ISO twenty seven thousand one is or a high trust? And I understand the reasons for them coming from the compliance world, but I'd love to be able to make. Um, or have these complications of what? What should a starting company really focus on? Because SOC two is a hill to climb. You know, can there be a, a a gradual, unified program that really applies to all these other variations? And they do exist. It just really, I, I, I uh, we tout humanizing cybersecurity, and I, I just want it to be simpler. So. I think the innovation is going to come like with most technical engin- uh, engineering focused industry industries. In order to really uh, succeed in security, we have to dumb this down. And I think the innovation—I know it sounds weird—but I think the innovations that I'm hoping to see that I feel like are coming is to be able to be be better at translating these complexities into something that's more actionable.
0: Yeah, I. You know, as you mentioned, sort of simplification or sort of reducing the burden, I'm all for that. I mean, we've seen just internally how um, not necessarily challenging, but just how much needs to go into creating sort of a robust model and process. Um, I just thought of one other question, though, that is kind of what so what do you what do you think has changed in security now that more companies are, are sort of operating outside of the confines of like the office network. Right. I mean, I think historically, obviously, you, you always had businesses that had a physical location, yeah. everything sort of stored at that location yeah. and uh, code, every, you know, whatever it was, everything was running through sort of a centralized or usually a centralized place. Yeah. Obviously, now that kind of remote work is kind of a bit more the norm. Uh, maybe that's shifting back towards the office a little bit, but I would say the vast majority of companies we're working with are still very much in remote mode. Yeah. Uh, do you think that's had like a significant impact on what you know the security requirements have to be, or how has that changed? What's yeah, you know, pretty space.
1: It's an interesting question because when you look at compliance, it's still focused on in office. It has like it doesn't. It talks about remote probably as a minority versus the majority. When it thinks of workflow operations, it takes, what, what ends up happening, again, this is that interpretation piece. It takes a way to sort of um, interpret that into the model that you have as an organization. And we do this all the time because we have to we have to essentially translate that into what the, is the organization trying to accomplish with its operations. So um, I think, you know, the innovations that I've seen sort of are on the... Um, End user protection pieces, right? The technology's there because you're going to have your 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 staff in all sorts of different countries, locations. Security used to say when you go into like a coffee shop, don't get on the Wi-Fi, like don't use public information. It, that's still true, but the question comes down to is okay, then what do you do? And I think the compliance hasn't caught up yet to really. Focus on like some of those measures, other than saying have a VPN. You know what we've really suggested and and looked at that is let's get creative. Like have like a a hotspot. Have you know some of these agents that we deploy, we're accounting for someone to be remote um, that they may store their information and it's localized because they may be disconnected from the network for some period of time. So get better or more sophisticated at how you capture imaging of their of their of their devices so that. If if you know they, someone could be on a cruise or someone could be somewhere and their the machine falls into a big puddle of water and it's done, you have the ability to leverage cloud services and imaging to put it up there. So there's a lot of creativity now that is introduced that compliance still hasn't caught up with. Um, but I think compliance is going to eventually get there and to say, okay, you know this is, should be the best practice. How do you get on the internet if you have sensitive information? How do you um operate in a secure way with your remote? Um, we do that all the time. We get very creative with this, this kind of stuff. But, you know, um I think I think eventually that's all gonna catch up. But you know, in terms of innovation, we do definitely see it in the tool sets that we leverage.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely makes sense. And again, I don't see kind of the trend of remote changing too significantly over the next, and maybe you've seen it differently, but at least from what we're seeing with most SaaS companies, it seems like that's going to continue for the foreseeable future. Um, yeah, I agree. So, yeah, fantastic. And I think, you know, this has been a, a great discussion. I think we've kind of touched on a lot of the key, at least what we've seen and the questions that always come up when we're working with SaaS businesses. Is there anything, just last point you want to talk you know, about? Sure. What Blue Steel is doing, or you know, how how can people find you guys? Where can they reach yeah. you? Yeah,
1: yeah. So uh, you can visit us on the website uh, bluesteelcyber dot com. Uh, LinkedIn, if you want to follow me uh, personally, I, I post a lot of different things. You know, what we're doing is, you know, we're we're trying to humanize cybersecurity. I, I uh, funny enough, I named the company after Zoolander because I wanted to be one of those organizations that weren't really you know cyber is a serious business but we want to take a human a humanistic approach to it so you know i we are very big on providing as much information to people to try to do it themselves um so if you follow us come visit us reach out you need help tips information you know we'll give it away for free we don't care um realistically a lot of times people can't handle it that's why they come back to us but we ultimately, you know, feel really great about what it is that we do and, and want to help others try to achieve it. So, um, you know, follow us on the web,
0: uh, hit me up on LinkedIn. I'd uh, love the chat. All right. Well, thanks again, Ali, for your time. I think it was a great, robust discussion. Cool. Uh, thanks for joining me on the Building Better SaaS podcast. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And we'll see you on the next one. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to Building Better SaaS. You can find all our episodes on Apple Music and Spotify.